This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I am Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and look ahead to some Friday night footy. The Blues go to Villa Park tomorrow for the third game of the season and, of course, with the prospect of a victory, sending them top of the table. Um, <laughs> Fennel, 12 years, I think we were reliably told. I you, was there. You will, I was going to say, you will have been there. If it's the game I remember correctly, because we didn't win at White Hart Lane very often uh, back in that area, but we won 3-1 on a Tuesday night, having uh, beaten Wigan, I think, on the opening Saturday. And it was a game where Leon Osman looked absolutely magnificent, like ran the show from start to finish. And uh, if I remember rightly, we were 3-0 up at half-time and I finished 3-1. And uh, David Moyes was absolutely, you know, extolling the virtues of Leon Osman afterwards and talking about how he deserved an England call. He got one, but it took about another three or four years, I think, before he finally mm. did, you know, get that call belatedly. It was more than that, wasn't it? Uh, uh, well, longer than even yeah. yet. And that was a long, long time before, it, before, it, before he got so, his call yeah. up. So, um yeah, you know, so decent memories, but it, it's tragic that it's had to be so long since we've had to wait 12 years since Everton have been top of the league. Uh, and, you know, I think prior to that, we're probably talking, you know, we're going back to like the Walter Smith era, even like when they won those first three games of the season. Uh, as a man who's old enough to remember Everton being top of the league, you know, towards the end of seasons, it has been a long, long time. And, you know, even if it's only fleeting, it just sends out just a, a little subliminal message that, you know, so Everton have started the season well, there's a bit of momentum developing here. And all right, you know, Man City struck Liverpool, however, you expect to, you know, sort of win the following day and uh, ease back over there. But it just creates a nice feel-good factor, even if only for a couple of hours. Mm. You know, it's something to have, definitely, and something to enjoy. No, but Adam, Preno's right in the sense that a victory tomorrow night to the win at, uh, against Watford and, and, you know, frustrating, but nevertheless, a point at Palace. That's a really decent start. And on the back of the momentum we built last season, you know, Marco would have to be really sat- satisfied with that. Mm, I, I don't think you can argue with that start, really. I think, you know, looking at the corresponding fixtures to last season, we're already two points better off this season uh, after beating Watford. So, yeah, I don't think I, uh, Silver could really argue with that start at, at this point. And then, you know, getting a getting a win against Villa as well. I mean, I know they're a newly promoted side and everything, but and they've lost their first two games, but, you know, you could consider them quite unlucky to have lost those two games at the same time. So they're going to be, like, firing, mm. uh, tr- trying to get, you know, their first sort of points on the board. So it's not going to be an easy game at all. And I think Silva, you know, kind of alluded to that in his press conference today. He's very wary that Villa are just going to come out uh, all guns blazing. So, you know, it'll take... Everton's defence being solid again to try and keep a clean sheet and try and get that victory on board. But then, you know, as Preno's saying, you know, it might only be a fleeting time at the top, but, you know, starting a season well, you know, we saw when Everton finished fourth how important a good start to the season can be. So, you know, if Everton can just continue this momentum, you know, with the relatively straightforward-ish start that they've been handed, you know, you you could be looking into mid-October, Everton is still up in the top three or four if things go their way. That's why I started the season's a great aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I was like really I optimistic. And <laughs> psychologically though, like I know like looking back in the day, papers didn't even publish the, the league table until, you know... Third game normally. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of time into the season. But I think, especially this year, you know, you're looking at the way Chelsea have started. You know, Chelsea don't look great whatsoever. Uh, Man United drew with Wolves. You no, know, they had that good result against Chelsea on the first day. But the thing is, you know, with the way the fixtures have played out, 
you know, if your first eight, nine games go your way and you put you put points on the board, then, you know, you're putting pressure on other teams. You know, Man United, Chelsea's from early on in the season are saying, but yeah, Everton, Everton are doing well here, you know, we're, we're five, six points behind them and, you know, force teams to, to play catch-up and maybe take risks in games that they, they wouldn't usually do to, to, to bridge that gap. And I think the reason tomorrow night's game is so important is because it almost feels like a bit of that, one of those Everton that type games, doesn't it? Villa have came up and haven't won a game yet and Everton have started reasonably well and it kind of feels like traditionally the kind of game where, where we'd slip up and I think that's why Marco Silva's kind of got to make sure that we, we do carry on the way we've, we've been playing tomorrow. Uh, Adam and Sam between uh, sort of alluded to Preno. The first 14 game, 14 league games of the season as we know, only three three fixtures are against sides who finished above was last season. Given within that time as well, you know, if 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 the team can really sort of uh, have a, have a decent return of points in that fourteen fixtures by that time, it's December. You would hope, therefore, that that Moise Keane will be a bit more up to speed. Obamin will see more of a Wobi. Delph will be fully fit again. That puts us, hopefully, I suppose, in, th- in theory, in a much stronger position to deal with an inevitable because every team goes through it wobble or be in a stronger position to cope with what really was the team's downfall last season which was December and January and, and a lot of games and Definitely, yeah. It's it, it's always difficult to to predict, you know, so how a season is going to go, you know, pan out. You know that there's going to be two or three teams that will be, you know, there or thereabouts. Everyone knows that City and Liverpool are going to have strong seasons. United, I think United have started okay to be honest. I mean that was a tough old game at Wolves mm. and uh, they were unfortunate not to win it in the end. Um, but you, you don't, you know, who would have guessed that Leicester would have had the season they had a couple of years ago? You, you can't look at the fixture list in isolation and say that, yes, those first 14 games, we should be getting so many points. Uh, you just got to try and, it's the old cliche, take each one as it comes. And Villa, you'd have thought after an hour of the opening day of the season was going to be a really tough fixture because mm. they were given it, you know, Tottenham was, you know, so all the problems that they could handle. Then they ended up making silly mistakes. They ended up losing more silly mistakes on the opening, you know, the first half an hour last weekend and suddenly they're playing catch a bit of pressure on them so you've got to take advantage of that just focus on tomorrow night uh, you know so try and catch them cold again try and catch them making silly mistakes in areas which, where they're going to get hurt and then just you know each game as it comes Wolves is a tough one after that but you know only three days after they played Torino in the second leg of the Europa League so again could be an opportunity there and then suddenly yeah you do get a bit of momentum and there will be I wouldn't say a dip, but, you know, the fixture list is going to get an awful lot less forgiving, you know, so when the, the, the bigger teams, if you yeah. like, start to rise. And you've got to take advantage before that. We didn't do that last season. Uh, we had a great second half of the season, a great last two or three months, but we had to really because uh, we had, you know, silly dips, particularly early in the season, those home points dropped yeah. against Huddersfield, West Ham, you know, Wolves, etc., etc. Don't do that this time. You know, so try and hit the ground running. But, you know... Just take each game as it comes. You look at tomorrow night first, and you know, so worry about what comes after that. Uh, it's a tough old game. It's going to be a great atmosphere in there. You know, so Villa Park. I love Villa Park. It's a great old traditional stadium. Uh, proper atmosphere. Got some really good memories of Everton trips down there, and hopefully tomorrow will be another one. Adam, kind of rightly extolling the virtues of of focus game to game, but looking at the overall picture, do you believe that this season? Given the issues at United, given Chelsea's transfer ban, etc., is this the best opportunity we as a club have had to, to break into the elite for quite a, quite some time? 
Uh, yeah, I'd probably say so, especially with it coming in silver and Brands' second season. Yeah. You know, they've already had a campaign behind them to try and, you know, instill their philosophy. And, you know, we saw towards the end of last season that that was really starting to take a lot more effect. But I think the the only issue that I'd have is Everton aren't the only club who are going to be thinking this. You know, Wolves are going to be thinking the same thing, yeah. you know, despite their Europa League efforts as well. Uh, Leicester are going to be thinking the same thing this season with Rodgers at the helm now. You know, West Ham will probably be thinking the same thing. Whether they can reach those kind of levels is yet to be seen. I highly doubt it myself, but yeah. West Ham are going to have those sort of ambitions of behind them. But yeah, I think Everton have just got to try and establish themselves. You know, if, we, if Everton can build up a good bit of momentum at the start of the season they can you know they can lead the race and I think you'd much rather be leading the race than playing catch up on anyone else I was just thinking that after the Anfield game last season we were still sixth mm. but because such was the collapse that we we, we lost so much ground didn't we and ultimately mm. weren't able to 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 to, to, um, to sort of catch it back up were we and that's why I'm kind of saying surely the manager is looking at the fixtures going we could build up <clears throat> A, a mass of points that will limit the damage should we have a dip mm. um, at some point, you know, over Christmas again. And I think you're hoping that if if a dip does come this time, it won't be as severe as it mm. was last time, you know, with it coming only a few months into Silver's reign last time. I think that was, that probably led to the severity of the dip in, in, in yeah. some ways. And, you know, it was only when Silver got them in for 17 days just on the training pitch by himself that we you know, started to see a turn round and he finally got his ideas back into the players again. You know, it it won't be that bad this time. You know, a lot of the a lot of the squads, you know, everyone bar six members of the squad are gonna have a season under silver yeah. under their belt. So they already know what the manager's gonna be demanding of mm-hmm. them. You know, one of those signings is Fabian Delph, another one's Jonas Lursel. You know, they're two experienced players. They're gonna be able to pick things up a little bit quicker than you know, maybe Moyes Keane would, for example, you know, only being 19 and coming to the Premier League for the yeah. first time. So, yeah, I think if, if there is a dip, then you, a lot of the squad this time are much better prepared to be able to deal with it. And I think that's maybe what Silver is going to be trying to amp- anticipate this yeah. time. So, uh, it, it on th- in, in theory, it should yeah. be a little bit better this year, but we'll have to wait and see whether it turns out like that. Course. Uh, Sam, great news. Luca Dean is fit, available, and you know, assuming he starts the game <laughs> as you would expect. Kuko's pushing him. Right. Kuko's <laughs> I had heard that, yeah. yeah. Um, sadly, um, it's come too soon for Delph. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> how much of a frustration do you think it is for the manager that he hasn't been able to use Delph so far? Well, I've seen one Liverpool fan tweet today saying, haha, Fabian Delph is the new Anthony Gardner. <laughs> Which wasn't the most uh, flattering, little premature. flattering comparison <laughs> for him. But yeah, certainly I think that, especially, I think there's that kind of feeling that he might be almost like the, the Gareth Barry type signing was under Martinez, wasn't mm. he? You know, a player who comes in, he's an experienced dad and, you know, I think, you know, I certainly had reservations about, about Barry when we first signed him and he was just, you know, superb in both on and off the field, I think from from the moment we we kind of had him to the to the moment he left the club and had a really big impact, certainly on that first Martin season. You know, don't even like to think what probably would have happened to us if he if he wasn't there in the in the next two seasons as well. So yeah, I, I think there's there's still that thing, isn't it, that that Silver wants to maybe experiment, if not fully change to a to a four three three system, and you kind of get the impression that Delph's integral to that and and the way he plays, and I think. What I'm most excited about is the fact that, 
you know, Pep Guardiola doesn't just throw you in the team to to do a job. You know, he fully has to trust in you. And for Delph, this was to do a job in a in a position that he wasn't totally familiar with at left back. So, you know, for me, that just shows that he's got you know a, a top football and brain. Everyone in in the team has spoken about what a, what a leader he already is on the training pitch. You know, despite only just joining, you know, it doesn't look like he's a quiet lad. By any means, I think anyone who watched that Man City documentary, he was quite always a, a vocal character in in the changing rooms. You know, full of world superstars. You know, you know what I mean. Uh, and, he, and he spoke very well at his first press conference as well. So I think that the main word is just frustration, isn't it? And I think Marco said today, you know, another week off. But then you kind of think he won't be getting thrown in from from the start, certainly when he comes back. So hopefully, you know, keep getting points on the board, and then you've got an, another new signing to to come back in the next. No, you'd you'd probably hope to see him starting a game in the next month, wouldn't you? Of course, mm. and I think the, that would the, be the a good thing. Time I suppose is that there are options, though. I mean, Schneiderlin's yeah. available again now. So, does he come back in? Does he stick with Gabamin? I mean, at least there are you know so a couple of options there. For what, him, would so, you, what would yeah. you do there, Preno? Because Gabamin, of course, has been chucked in at yeah. the deep end sooner than Marco would have liked, um, but circumstances dictated that he's he's got what a ninety and a, and a forty-five under his belt so yeah. far. What does it do for a player's a new player's confidence? What does it do for his development and progression as a Premier League footballer if Marco goes, right, you're back on the bench for Villa, Morgan's back in? I saw nothing last Saturday which would make me think that this guy is not is going to struggle you know, with the Premier League. OK, he got a little bit of a adverse social media reaction, shall we say, from his first 40-odd minutes down at Crystal Palace, which was just absurd. Um, I thought he looked for half an hour a lot more comfortable last weekend against you know a very... Physical, uh, you know, so very sharp Watford side. Went missing for a little bit after that, but I just think you need to try and build with him. He's the future, Morgan Schneiderlin isn't. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've never been Morgan Schneiderlin's biggest fan you know, so on these podcasts, but equally, I thought he was, he was good until that nonsense down at Crystal Palace. I mean, he was unfortunate in some aspects. He was also a bit stupid in other aspects. Mm. Uh, but equally, he was having a good game, that apart. And, um, but I just think Gabamin will benefit far more from the exposure uh, to the first yeah. team set up than, than what Morgan Schneiderlin would. And I'd like to see him start again. Um, you know, for half an hour, certainly, he looked completely comfortable showing a range of passing, you know, so moving the ball well, giving the opportunity to do it again. You know, I think he's, the, he's only going to learn, isn't he? As you said, Preno, I think the timing's just worked out, hasn't it? I think if Schneiderlin, you know, if Gomez hadn't got injured and Schneiderlin hadn't got suspended and they'd played right through, then you kind of say you keep the shirt, don't you? But, yeah. you know, not an has screamed out that he can't cut her at this level. He, he hasn't got that Davy Classen look about him where you're thinking... Yeah, there's, why? Not, there's not a rabbit in the headlights. No, type. no, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, it, and it's obviously, you know, the other problem New Sands have is every little thing they do, you, you kind of pick up on early doors, don't you? Because yeah. you're kind of trying to figure out what kind of player they are. But even against Palace, you know, there was always that thing, you know, Phil Neville can't... I'm not comparing him to Phil Neville by any means, <laughs> but, you know, he never used to hide in the pitch. He could be having a terrible game and he'd still be asking for the ball. And, and I thought that's what Gabama was like, certainly when we went to Palace on, on the opening day, Phil, and even times where you'd kind of see him, you know, he popped up on the edge of the box. He wasn't he wasn't scared to get forward. So I think, you know, circumstances has put him in the team and he hasn't done anything to, to take himself out of it. You know, yeah. Marco does certainly like Morgan Schneiderlin. You know, he, he kept faith in them last summer and he's done the same again this summer. But, you know, what, why change what has worked? I, I don't really expect to see any any changes Same for Lincoln City. Exactly, that's the, that's the big one. <laughs> um, add uh, uh, any contrary view to that, or, or in agreement that, that Gabamin should should uh, keep his place? No, I think Gabamin should keep his place. I think 
you know, against Palace, you know, Prano's alluded to the kind of criticism that he got against Palace, but I think you've got to remember that he came on for Andre Gomez, not Morgan Schneiderlin mm. against Crystal Palace. So he was he was asked to do a, essentially a different role than what he was brought yeah. in to really be at Everton. So, you know, that could that could have contributed to why he was looking a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps at certain moments in that match. I think uh, for, for the most part in that Watford game, you know, playing in the role that he was actually signed for. Yeah. I think he looked uh, very good. Uh, you know, Preno alludes to, alluded as well to that first half an hour. I think he looked fairly confident on the ball. Uh, he was trying to make a good a good number of, you know, decent through balls. Do you think to it's attackers. So it's interrupt. Do you think it's the speed of things? Because what what struck me, and it's totally understandable and this isn't a criticism, but what has struck me in the first two games is that he is playing like somebody who thinks he's got more time than he has. I think that's that's that that's something that you see a lot between midfielders, especially moving from Bundesliga mm. to the Premier League and like vice versa. I think like I said on the last part, it's no coincidence that David Klassen's doing much better in the Bundesliga now because he's got more time on yes. the ball to be able to pick out his passes and play the way he wants to play. And Gabamon's had that luxury throughout his few years at Mainz. He's not going to have that luxury in the Premier League. But I think to caveat that, Morgan Schneiderlin has his moments where he just dally, dallies on the ball and he loses possession. So if you're Marco Silva, you're looking at it as if, you know, Morgan Schneiderlin is the experienced man mm. and, you know, he very clearly trusts Schneiderlin. Like he brought him in in some important matches, especially towards the end of last season. Well, after that 17-day break yeah. you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And he performed very well in them. I think it, our defensive record with Schneiderlin in the team over the last few months or so has been absolutely excellent. So I wouldn't be too disappointed if Schneiderlin was to, with a play, but I think if it was down to me, I'd prefer Gabamon because, as I say, like in the one game that he's had in the position that he was actually signed for, I think he actually looked... Uh, fairly good you know he's just a player that just needs to learn yeah. the Premier League and you're not going to learn the Premier League if you're not having minutes in the Premier League and you know with all due respect to Aston Villa like if you pull him out of a game against Aston Villa yeah. then what's the point what's the point <laughs> you, 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 really, you really need to be playing him in these sort of yeah. games this is the type of pressure that a young new signer needs to have on his shoulders mm. and I'd argue that you know, it's it's not just Gabam, and I'd argue that Moyes Keane probably deserves that sort of pressure as well. Okay, interesting. Of course, as we all know, two two games, two clean sheets. The Blues are the only team in the Premier League not to concede a goal so far this season. Um, but it is at the other end, which is probably giving Marco Silva um, some concerns. Um, a lack of creativity and a lack of goals was an issue right through pre-season. It has continued uh, through into the start of the campaign. Preno, um are you concerned by, you know, that that the the lack of chances that are being created, that lack of a clinical edge so far, or is it something that just will come as time progresses and, and in games and, and the players yeah. begin to work together again and, and find that rhythm? No, to be honest, I'm not that concerned, uh, largely because it wasn't a problem in the last two or three months of last season with significantly less creative outputs and options that we have currently. Um, okay, pre-season it was a bit grim, it has to be said, and uh, you know they were very, very short supply. The chances created at Crystal Palace, though it was better against Watford. I mean, if Richarlison had been completely up to speed, you know he'd have got a couple of goals. If Moise Keane had been, you know, so completely in tune with the Premier League, he'd have celebrated a couple himself. And he is one of those options. I mean, so some chances were created. Uh, the issue, and we've talked about it before, is that you know Calvert Lewin, for all the good work that he does in the uh, forward line 
doesn't really look like troubling goalkeepers as often as a, a top-class centre-forward should do. But Moise Keane did in the space of like 18 minutes. He got two you know, decent efforts at goal. Um, I know the game was getting stretched. I know Botford were committing men forward at that time, but he still did make things happen. And that's the big uh, selection dilemma, I think, for tomorrow night, uh, whether he starts. I'd like to see him start, but we don't know if he's ready yet. I mean, only uh, Markham Silva can tell us that from what he's seen on the training pitch. If he does... I think he'll probably trouble uh, their defence and their goalkeeper more than Calvert-Lewin will. What we might lack, and we don't know that much about him, to be honest, but is that is that energy, that running the channels that Calvert-Lewin does? Does Keane do that as effectively as well? He did for the last 20 minutes on Saturday, mm. so we don't know. That, that's the big selection you know, decision, that one. And uh, I think we'll be waiting to see that team sheet quite eagerly uh, an hour before kick-off tomorrow. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You've been one of Calvert-Lewin's biggest fans and I'm sure remain a fan. So it's obviously for you to be pushing the idea that Keane should start, you've obviously, you know, that's that's not something you would have said lightly. No, I mean, for me though, the, the most, the single most important thing that any central striker can do, A, score goals and B, you know, if you're going to, miss opportunities, put yourself back in the same positions to get on the end of those chances again and again. And we just, we think Keane will do that. I mean, Calvert-Lewin isn't doing it. I mean, his last goal was Newcastle away last season. He's had how many games it is since then. It's at least a dozen games. And I can't really think of that many glaring, you know, sort of chances that he's missed. Sometimes it's just like a goal scorer's instinct. You will find yourself in those positions. You don't really know how you've got there. Uh, but it's just the ability to find space in a penalty box. It's it's an incredible quality that the very best strikers have. And, you know, Moise Keane, an unknown quantity at the moment, but there are already signs that, you know, so possibly he has that more than Calvert-Lewin does. Whether that's something Calvert-Lewin can ever gather, you know, so I don't know. He's got strength, he's got great aerial ability, he's got pace. But you want to see him get on the end of chances as well. And, you know, whether he can add that to his game, who knows? I mean, maybe work on the training ground, working with Duncan Ferguson, who knows? That could aid him a little bit. Uh, but we haven't seen it enough, unfortunately, which is why I think that Moise Keane should get his chance. I think it maybe, uh, like, he arguably contributes to his own downfall in a way. Like he sacrificed we, himself. We, yeah, yeah. We, we, we talk about how well he runs the channels and everything. And, you know... I, you you do really like to see that from him. I think it's one of the, one of the best qualities of his game. But because of that, he's not he's not central yeah. a lot of the time. You know, he's not picking up the passes in and around the box when he needs to be. He's, he he needs to really work to get himself into a good position in the box. And you'd argue that Moise Keane probably wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, he'd he'd find himself a lot more central, maybe for Sigurdsson to be doing that sort of run and work around them. So it'll be interesting to see how the dynamic changes. I think he's got to be more selfish, hasn't he? Mm. You know, well, yeah, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? That I think like if he does want to be considered an, an Everton forward, yeah, you know, sometimes you do get like, do we need him to be to be running those channels then in, in the kind of system we have? You know, he is in the team to, to score goals. And, and yeah. as you said, he, he just hasn't been doing that really. But then to, to go back to the first question as well, Phil, about whether, you know, we will kind of pick up in, in our attack and output. I think it's just more... You know, it can't go on as late as it did last season. You know, when you think we scored four against United, three against Cardiff, two against Spurs, you know, two at Newcastle, and obviously still got beat there. But I think, you know, we do have to find our feet sooner rather than later. We can't have that dip this season. You know, I don't think a dip of the scale we had last season would be tolerated because you know we have got more ambitions this season, and I think we are better equipped than a few teams to challenge. And you know, we are still Everton. You know, we are still better than Wolves. We're still better than Leicester. We're still better than any of those teams challenging, you know, and they they shouldn't really be be anywhere near us. I don't think, and 
you know, because of those kind of setbacks we've had under Martinez and Koeman, we find ourselves in this position. But we've, we've got, to t- got to take our opportunity now uh, when it comes, really. But then at the same time, the only worry is, like, even the Watford game last week, looking at the highlights, it was a bit like... I remember coming out to that Rosombrock game with my dad after like we'd won 1-0. You thinking, remember that Rosombrock Remember that Rosombrock game, but we'd only won 1-0 and I was like, yeah. it's taking us a little bit of time to jelly. Yeah. Rosombrock's a bit different than No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's the exact same thing, but, I'm just, but again, I'm just saying, you know, then it took us, well, we never gelled at all that season. So, you know, it is just about now, I think what Silver's alluded to a few times in the past couple of weeks, you know, it's up to him now on, on the training pitch to, to get us far. Do you think, I don't know, I'm not sure if anybody agrees, but do you think that it's telling that Bernard, with a full pre-season behind him, looks probably one of the more sharper attackers. Sigurdsson, with more or less a full pre-season behind him, looks sharp. Whereas Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison came back after international footy, came back later than everybody else. I just wonder whether they're not actually fully up to speed. That, that, that could be the argument. I mean, to be honest, I, I wouldn't agree with both of them. Bernard, yeah, looks great. You know, He looks really sharp. Sigurdsson's been disappointing so far. And I'm one of his biggest fans. I mean, that little cameo pirouette thing he did, you know, sorry, in the last couple of minutes on Saturday is about the only really significant contribution I can I can recall from him. Um, he still puts in tons of work, right? He still gets about the pitch, but, you know, I'm hoping to see a little bit more from him. Uh, Richarlison's a weird one. I mean, he's had such a, uh, a fatiguing summer. You know, he's been involved, you know, so, so much in the, you know, tournaments out in South America. Maybe he will take a little bit of time, you know, so to get back up to speed again. I hope that's all it is and it's not tiredness and fatigue because mm. he's played an awful lot of football over the last uh, few few years, really. You get the impression, though, that he's one of those young lads that absolutely loves playing. Mm. And, you know, mm. he, he wasn't happy getting dragged off, you know, so when, when he was, nor should he have been. Um, you know, the interview that he gave prior to that where he talked, was it Marco Silva talked about how they're trying to save him from himself because he thinks so hard about the game and he does get so wound up if he's not playing particularly well. You kind of think that he'll have been tormented for four or five days 100%. by that. You know, he won't have taken it well, so he'll be looking to make a reaction. Uh, and he remains one of the most important players in the squad. You know, he does make things happen every time he plays. Uh, you can guarantee, even though he played badly against Watford, you got on the end of two decent chances and, you know, so could have scored. You make things happen. So, yeah, I mean, it's the old saying, isn't it, about form is temporary, class is permanent. He'll come good. It's just a question of when. Yeah, I did uh, 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 cross past uh, past uh, cross uh, past <laughs> uh, Finch Farm on Wednesday, and I, I guess Richardson never looks. He never walks around with a smile on his face. No, name drop him, name <laughs> drop him once again from Philly. Ever correspond? You've never named dropped Avia Sam. Never ever name dropped Avia. No. I was just saying that he didn't look overly happy, but then again, maybe he never does. But no, he doesn't. You? He has that. <laughs> Could well be. I could be the root of the problem. Um, what do we think about Villa? Spent a lot of money, um, done a lot of business. Weirdly, for me, after Liverpool, my most disliked team in the Premier League. Really? Why? That game, do you remember when we were 2-0 down and then uh, Scott scored two and we, drew uh, two, we made it 2-2 in the last minute yeah. and I was a ball boy. And then from uh, kick-off, yeah, yeah. but Martin Lawson ran up to me, to the Gladys Street and cupped his hands behind his ears and from that day I just hated Villa and Martin Larson my most disliked ever player let it go let it go so, <laughs> a lot on I don't the think he's in the squad anymore <laughs> a lot on the line for me tomorrow I can, I, I can I think, think of Villa, plenty of other clubs to dislike Martin more Larson. Villa are just this season's full of Marty they've bought a lot of players who I don't think are very good and I, I can't really see them staying up wow that's a, that's a statement no I think 
the better than that, certainly. Um, for, for an hour, for 70-odd minutes down at you know, Tottenham, I thought, well, they look like a decent side. They were going to like make an impact on the Premier League. But they made stupid mistakes, the kind of mistakes that you can make in the Championship and maybe get away with them. Yeah. Uh, you don't in the Premier League. I mean, Grealish won't make that error again, that, you know, so it cost them you know, down well, in London. Ho- hopefully he does tomorrow. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then again, you know, so early doors, it was the goalkeeper this time that made a stupid mistake in the first couple of minutes and then immediately playing catch-up. So, and then Douglas Louise was exactly, in the field yeah. did mm. the same again. Yeah. So, so they've had you know a couple of weeks now to come to terms with that and realise that you can't take you know sort of chances you know, anywhere near your own penalty area. Hopefully they haven't learned the lessons you know sort of too quickly yet. Um, I think Villa Park itself will be a big positive for them. Yeah. Um, you know you get a decent atmosphere down there. It can be a tough place to go. Um, I just equally it can be one of those kind of inspiring venues as well uh, I, I just think it, it's a traditional old-fashioned football stadium with a really good feel about it and uh, you know so good footballers go there and really want to perform there mm. I think they'll be okay I don't think they're going to yeah. be in relegation I, trouble I agree. but yeah I, I can't see them you know they're not going to be doing you know what Wolves did and challenging you know for the top six or seven but I think they'll be okay but we'll find out won't we you know so hopefully if Everton win tomorrow nice that puts them under massive pressure then you know, so to turn around um before we move on to predictions and some uh, some other things, um, Adam, you're the best person to bring us up to speed. Romelu Lukaku has been a guest on a podcast um, yeah. overnight, we think. Um, yeah. He said some really rather interesting things about um, how he was talking to Chelsea for two years. Is that right? Have, have, yeah, he said he said two years, but I don't think I don't think the timeline necessarily adds up. Up, adds up to what he was actually saying. He said two weeks before. Everton played Chelsea in that FA Cup quarter and we beat them 2-0 and obviously Rom scored both goals. He said Chelsea, didn't say who at Chelsea, but he said Chelsea had been in touch and he said, listen, we, we're not going to tell you who the coach is, but the next coach wants you. And uh, Rom was like, well, wow. The okay. next coach being and Conte, I assume? I presume so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he said he played in, played in that match, scored his two goals and he said on that day, Chelsea then told him who the coach was going to be. And they continued discussions with him, blah, blah. And he said these discussions went on until the summer where he actually left. Obviously, he didn't leave in that following summer, he said, because he didn't want to put up a fight with Everton. Uh, and where that would have been the where summer when we believe, had convinced him to stay. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, he stayed for another season and then he said, look, by that by that next summer, you know, I'd got, in, I'd got into the team of the year. I was in there for player of the year. He, he said he expected a move. And he was, you know, house hunting around Chelsea's training ground. He said, I was looking for a house. I was looking for an apartment for my mum for whenever she would come round. Uh, and then Manchester United came in at the last minute and he went to them instead. But I just think, you know, we've, we, we all, we all kind of knew that Lukaku was going to go that summer uh, when it was happening. But I think it was just a bit of a shock to me to see how long he was actually in discussions with Chelsea so as, we saying, as an Everton player. We were saying, weren't we, had before that, Certainly, we were in agreement that we accepted that Rom was never going to be at Grusen forever mm. and that ultimately we were a stepping stone. Mm. But his comments today have not gone down well. No, not at all. But I'm just thinking, are we naive as football fans, and I'm talking generally here, to think that that sort of thing doesn't happen? <laughs> well, it shouldn't happen, though, <laughs> should it? I mean... We can be as naive as we want as as to whether we think these things are going to happen, but you know, there's, I mean, there's tapping up rules for a reason, mm. and like, if this doesn't constitute as tapping up, then I'm not sure 
how far you'd have to go to to be considered as tapping a player. Assuming Rom is, you know, he's entertained. Yeah, assuming he's, yeah, he's entertained these discussions, and I'm assuming that these discussions actually did uh, happen yes, yeah, yeah. the way he said they happened. But like, it, it it's just odd. It it just it's, strikes me as very odd. This isn't even like the the straw that broke the camel's back with him, though, is it? It's the fact that you know. It, it doesn't surprise football fans that the team speak to people while while they are under contract and, and teams put feelers out and I think you know ev- every team does does probably do it even even our own teams but it's like you know the amount of times Lukaku disrespected Everton while he was an Everton <laughs> player and now continues you know and then he done it at Man United and he's he's continuing to almost kind of do it now when he he doesn't play for for either team so I think it's just one of them for Rom after the couple of seasons he's had with his own personal form you know you wonder why there's no one advising them saying. You should probably just let your football do the talking for for a little bit. The, the, as much, sorry, Brad, I was just going to say, as much as Rom talked a lot when he was at Everton, sometimes on Merseyside, often when he was away, you can't knock what he did. No, I was just going to say, there are two ways of looking at it. Goals, um, I mean, sorry. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the best striker I've seen, I think, at Everton in the Premier League era. Um, well, you know, statistically, he's, uh, he is, best yeah. centre forward. He was, I, I loved him as a footballer. I absolutely loved him. And, and there's two ways of looking at it. That A, he's got the professionalism to be able to perform the way he did, despite having his, you know, sort of looking over his shoulder, looking elsewhere. That's one of my favourite goals in recent years, that first goal against Chelsea. I mean, yeah. the place nearly you know, exploded when he scored that. It was one yeah. hell of a goal. Yeah. And, um, you know, for him to have you know, been talking with other clubs around that time, underlines how he's capable of producing those performances, you know, so even despite having his head turned elsewhere. So we shouldn't be surprised. But equally, you want a little bit more loyalty, you know, so from footballers. And if that's happening, don't throw it back in supporters' faces mm. by telling them about it, you know, yeah. so we were talking to go elsewhere. It's why you'll never be loved or respected by Evertonians, despite being such a great player. You contrast that to Garner Gay's demeanour and, you know, so what happened yeah. with him last summer, and, you know, and he wanted to go to PSG badly and was told, you know, he couldn't. So he continued to perform, you know, magnificently after that, even up his performances, as did Romelu Lukaku. But he didn't kick off. He didn't make any silly statements. He didn't go away you know, on international duty and give interviews and then claim he'd been misquoted. And then when he did leave Everton, he left it with a really magnanimous series of social media posts and spoke really well about how much he'd loved his time at Everton and thanking them for letting him go. And you never really got that, you know, from Romelu Lukaku. He just wanted to mess around with his mate Pogba, didn't he? And, you know, sort of put silly things on, it, on Instagram. Um, so, you know, it leaves you with a bit of a sour taste and it's it, it's disappointing. We shouldn't be surprised because we've seen it happen many times before. But it's why Lukaku, great, great footballer, though he ha- he was as Everson, will never be loved. No. And, you know, I'm not sure that bothers him, to be perfectly honest. But, no. you know, that's, that's the, nature mm. of the nature of the character, unfortunately. Well, obviously it did bother him when he was uh, at Goodison this season, wasn't it? And he, <laughs> he tried to shush the Gladys Street despite being 3 uh-huh. nil down at the time. So... At least we had the we had the last laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Gladys Street had the last laugh. Can I go stay with you before we do customary predictions? Um, can you explain briefly why I'm going to ask everybody for uh, for their bet their their pick of the bets right. for tomorrow night's game? Yeah, because uh, thepools.com, who are uh, partners with uh, with Reach PLC, is the company that owns you know, the Liverpool Echo. Um, and you've probably seen these 45 adverts all over the place at the moment uh, with Sam Quirk and Jermaine Janus, uh, who are brand ambassadors. 
And uh, I'm working on that at the moment, basically trying to promote the, uh, the work of, uh, or promote thepools.com as the best website. People think of the pools as being a little old fellow that comes around to your house on a Thursday night with your coupon and you've got to fill in, you know, sort of eight drawers from 10. And if you get them, you win the pools, you know, you become a millionaire. Um, that still happens, of course. It's all online now. Uh, but thepools.com is now a betting website uh, like all of the others out there. And I was unaware of it, as a lot of other people are as well. And so, you know, we're trying to promote, you know, thepools.com as a website. If you're going to have a little punt on the game, use them. You know, it's a local-based company still based up in Aintree. Uh, use them rather than some of their rivals. And so I've been heavily immersed in all the stats and the odds and, you know, so God knows what for the various games. I've been looking at the game tomorrow night. You can get good price on Everson to win, five to four, which, mm. which is decent, better than W money uh, for the Blues to win. But I'm greedy, so I tend to go for, uh, you know, so first goal scoring markets I particularly like. And um, the, the odds aren't great out there. Yerry Mina interests me a little bit, you know, because mm. he's not shown anything so far to suggest that he's going to uh, be, be a goal tip, but we know mm-hmm. he can be uh, from, you know, his time at a the goal World against Cup. Burnley. Um, exactly, yeah. And, and he should have scored, you know, on, on his debut down at Chelsea last season. Should have scored in the Anfield derby as oh, well. God, yeah. You know, so th- there are occasions. So th- that's a, a big price, that one. Uh, but, more obvious ones, Richarlison's 5-1, to one, and he does get on the end of chances. Bizarrely, Moise Keane is a favourite at 9-2. to two. We don't even know if he's going to start. <laughs> yeah, he's 9-2 he's to two first scorer. But Richarlison, 5-1, to one, and uh, Sigurdsson's 5-1 to one as well, because we know he's on penalties, or we think he's going to be on penalties. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I'd be looking at Richarlison, I think, 5-1. to one. But I'm not the man to ask, because the man who's the expert, Adam Jones, sat to my right here, called last week's results he did. spot on. Mm-hmm. Not just the home win, but he got the scoreline right as well. I know. I, I, I only missed out on the scorer. Which is unfortunate. I went for Richarlison for the scorer. So go on then, for a bit of fun, uh, what would be your pick? Of the bets? Yeah. My pick of the bets would be Moyes Keane, last goal. Because if he's going to come off the bench, then he can go for the last goal. And he's he's 92 last goal as well. Sam's shaking his head. Because I've just nicked his bet. (laughs) (laughs) You forgot your bet, I think. (laughs) You you were going to say that as well. You think that's that's where the value is. Is So I'm not a betting man, I'm just... Sound like you know, that's the right phrase. Yeah. To, to be a bit different, I'll go. Um, you know what? Why not have a little um, Michael Keane at the goal? Michael goal. Keane, that's Ooh. an interesting one. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Funes Mani scored last time, didn't he? So he did. Yeah. He did. You know, basically the same, innit? I don't. <laughs> I don't bet, but I had a quick look, and it's clearly risky because he's been subbed off in both matches. But Calvert Lewin is last scorer, eleven to two. Oh, what's a good price? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Why not? Why not? You know, break that 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 run of being subbed and stay on the pitch. If Calvert Lewin scores, you're going to start gambling. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's going to be the unhappiest man inside Villa Park. I knew I should have done that. <laughs> as long as we win. Uh, so before we uh, finish today's pod uh, predictions, time Preno, your prediction for Aston Villa versus Everton tomorrow night. I can see it being a a tight game. Uh, certainly one to look at under two and a half goals, but. We're just defending so well at the moment and, you know, fingers crossed that can continue and uh, we can show that little bit of extra thrust in the attacking third. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go for a, the away win. 2-0. Uh, going to go for a 2-0 away win. Lovely. That, that's Add. optimism. I think, I think Villa might score. I think be, being at home, I think they might score. Yep. So I'm going to go for a 2-1 Everton win. Sam? I'm going to go hundreds... 100% think I haven't win 3-1. 3-1. Yeah. And that's Goals the Mighty Blues, top of yeah. the league. Goals in this. Michael yeah. Keane. Michael Keane yeah. for it. Calvert-Lewin first for your bet. Yeah. Michael Keane. Moise Keane. Bang. Jobs are good. Too keen. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think it'd be another 1-0. 
Another one nil for the Blues. Yeah. Think, yeah. yeah, I think that that's century just a, old record. We're, we're going to win the league on one nils. Well, <laughs> boring, boring. Ever. We, we, we finished fourth on one nils, didn't we? Yeah, we won about ten games one nil that season. Yeah, I'd, I, I, yeah I, I'm not sure that we'll suddenly spring into life in an attacking sense, but I think as Prano you said, we're looking pretty solid, and I think we've got enough to to do uh, to do enough damage and, and uh, get a win. So. Mm-hmm. Here's hoping then that the Blues can do the business at Villa Park tomorrow night. Stay with us online, myself and Adam will be in the ground uh, providing reports, analysis, opinion and of course post-match reaction. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.